Welcome to the Filament Games Podcast, a show dedicated to game-based learning. Here are your hosts, Brandon Pitzer and Dan Norton. So today we have some questions that came in from an ally of ours, Marion Malmstrom, a former teacher fellow, friend of Filament Games, and general game-based learning expert. She sent this over to us from the Shift Thinking Conference, which is a conference that was held in New Zealand intended to shift education and learning to a more 21st century style of thinking. So I'm just going to dive right into that list. Sounds good. All right, so let her rip. Uh, Question one, what role do games play in building learner agency and self-directedness? Sub-question. Why are kids so prepared to fail in gaming, but not in their learning? Okay. Um, do you want to like work through those backwards, or do we pick a favorite? Or, um, yeah, I think, I think let's work through those backwards. Okay. Let's moonwalk through this. Do you want to like the second one, the the words forwards, not the whole question backwards? Oh, you just want to hear the words again. Well, I kind of actually want to hear the words backwards. Well. <laughs> I, I'm not. But no, okay. No, learning there and uh, not, but gaming and fail to prepared so kids are why. <laughs> that makes no sense, uh, Brandon. <laughs> I delivered. How I much was the answer that? All right. Why are kids so prepared to fail in gaming, but not in their learning? It's funny. I'm actually like trying to like unoverthink it because I mean, like, yeah, games are built on failing. Yes. They have systems for failure. You're supposed usually failing is a natural part of the cycle. Games give you at least feedback, occasionally rewards for getting it wrong so that it better informs how you interact with it in the future. I often like to point to the classic Team Fortress 2. You run out into a hallway, all of a sudden your head's been exploded, and you're like, you have a quick adrenaline surge from why the hell am I dead all of a sudden? Mm -hmm. And then the camera like whooshes over and there's a sniper and he's waving at you. Right, so aside from the rage uh, the game has given you all the feedback you know you need to know to work with what's happening in that level and what to do. Are you going to change roles to like deal with that sniper? Or are you simply going to avoid that open lane? Uh, are you going to complain to your team that the six snipers on your team don't seem to be able to handle the one sniper on the other team? Mm. That's what I do. I like to complain at that point. That's my go-to. Um <laughs> But yeah, yeah, so I mean, yeah, so feedback cycles around failure are just a natural part of games. Right. I don't want to overcharacterize failure in games as like it's always a wonderful space. There's still lots of struggle. People don't like losing, mm-hmm. um, et cetera. But it's considered safe. Whereas, I mean, schools are built, you know, institutionally as generally high stakes. Right. You get one chance. If you do it wrong, that is documented forever. Yes. And is a tally against your possible grade that is never removed so right so i've had a interesting conversation about this with uh matt hazelton actually one of our lead game designers here and he used to teach Mm -hmm. and uh in his experience what this kind of took the form of or, or how he saw this kind of in practice was in the premise of a classroom you sort of start at this maximum amount of points that you can have right. for the semester. Yes. And then you gradually lose them. You're given opportunities to lose them exactly. over and over and over. Right. So it's like every time you take a class is an opportunity to lower your mm-hmm. value or score as a learner. Yes. Uh, whereas in games, 
that's more often than not not the case not right. the, not the way that it's constructed it's actually the opposite you accrue points yep. as you proceed through different challenges mm-hmm. and so it's the difference between a process of gaining and losing mm-hmm. in a lot of ways i think yeah that's absolutely pretty fair i do think it's you know it's a little bit unfair just to like cast schools as you know pink floyd crushing soul crushing machines right because i mean certainly a huge part of what makes players feel like they have agency in games is 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 power they can turn it off and then ultimately it doesn't matter Mm -hmm. right you can go ahead and be terrible at a game if you so desire uh and if that's your attitude then there's no there's no stakes there's nothing nothing tied there and schools are held accountable to have people not just be contained, but to learn things and get better at things. Right. So at a certain point, schools have to have it matter. And I think often when we sort of talk about game communities and and show off the ridiculous, you know, incredibly complicated things that, that students and players are capable of, you know, massive recreations of things inside Minecraft or just incredible number crunching you know giant statistical models made by volunteers and mm-hmm. in mmos etc like those are really impressive but those are also deeply self-selected people mm-hmm. who have signed up over and over in their hearts and minds being like i will master this i will master this i will master this yep so it's not entirely fair to be like oh yeah if you put games out there everyone's going to become a genius right Right. Cause That's true. A lot of people don't have those interests or, uh, you know, and it, it, games are trying to create as many opportunities to spark inspiration and agency and identity building as possible. Uh, but doesn't mean that they always work for all students. And, I, you know, and I think that often that's sort of an unfair charge laid on games. You know, I think we talked in a previous podcast about engagement. Mm-hmm. I don't like a lot of video games. Hmm. <laughs> right? I yep, will, there's a bunch valid. of video games I don't want to play. Yeah, like, there's entire uh, genres I've written off. Right? Yeah. You know? Uh, Cod Blops? Not interested. Yes. Call of Duty? I had to well, parse know, that right for now. a second, but yeah. yeah. Cod Blops? Oh, I like saying it. I don't like playing it. I have no interest <laughs> in that entire genre. A lot of time, you know, a lot of money, a whole bunch of effort has gone into making that game absolutely as engaging as possible. Yep. And I'm like, no thank you. Mm-hmm. Right? And that's Sometimes I think when we talk about games and learning, we have an idea that every game is going to be the most, because it's a game, that it is going to be intrinsically ultra engaging for every player, uh, every student. Right. And that's not true. Some people will get way into it. I think you'll catch a broader net than many other media of how many people are interested. Yes. But, But getting that super level of engagement with play takes more than just a game it takes you know a classroom community that supports that level of engagement right it takes a teacher who's committed to fostering that type of connection to the media and the learning objectives uh, you know and you have to kind of create that critical mass you can't just sort of unleash the game and be like a game happened right and now everyone... and everyone's a genius yes <laughs> exactly <laughs> We have, how do games influence the way learners experience and make sense of the world? Hmm. 
And so some of the tensions that she's identifying within that topic is what are the effects of an alternate reality versus the real world? And Mm -hmm. that's something that we're obviously highly conscious of in Mm -hmm. terms of not creating misconceptions and ensuring that our representations of academic fact are accurate and not giving people the wrong idea about, about those concepts. And then is uh, another tension within that is the is the focus on winning in games having a long term social effect and and what she means by that is if we're focused on winning the game what does that mean in the context of a learning game sure. and can a student have a meaningful experience in a learning game without technically like completing it or f- finishing the narrative what have you so it's sort of like what influ- What impact does it have to approach learning through the lens of gaming? Mm-hmm. And then what are the risks of having a representation of reality versus actual reality that they're confronting? Sure. If element, we often talk about sort of our game-based strategy for how to integrate learning objectives into games goes through three main pathways, mm-hmm. and that's verbs. Uh, so the things that you can do inside a game identity you know who we ask you to become in a game and then systems like what are the rules inputs and outputs of a game world from a design perspective subversive or the most dangerous one of those in terms of misconceptions is definitely a system because gamers when they're interested in doing well and excelling are usually thinking about subverting inside the system you lay out you're like here are the rules here are how it works Mm -hmm. and they're like all right i'm going to learn those as tightly as possible and figure out how to like push the seams of those things to do things that maybe aren't expected and that's like where subversion lives and that's great right but it's very rare for you to actually challenge those rules themselves you know when you play sim city you're not like that's not really how traffic works you're more right. like you know what i found out if i lay down three roads three <laughs> lanes doesn't get any better than two lanes and mm-hmm. that's just how you accept it yeah and so you learn how to work with the system rather than constantly thinking about fighting against the system so if you want to make a game that's persuasive and you're not looking for them to critically reflect on those things you just want them to believe them uh you'd embed those things through system so it's actually it's it's a tricky spot yeah so that's 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 probably like the most dangerous location inside so basically that like you're you the way people approach games is not to be skeptical of the underlying rigging it's to understand that rigging and so if you make something inaccurate if you represent a system poorly or if you're if you abstract it too far Mm -hmm. then you can basically leave people with the impression that something functions in a completely different way than in reality how it would actually function. Yes. And I think another thing, I, I mean, for lots of lots of listeners, this is obvious, but every time you build a simulation or a system, it's a lie. Mm. Right? It's mm-hmm. not real. You've made a toy version of a thing in reality that functions in a way that sort of points at or approximates the real thing. But it's always some form of deceit right and that's you know that's true for everything from chess as a simulation of war Mm -hmm. to some giant supercomputer hulking number crunching simulation for extrapolating weather patterns right Right. that's a lie too like the only uh if you build a simulation of a thing that's 100 percent accurate you've built the thing itself right so there's always a certain amount of deceit into making something understandable 
Yeah, and in one way, whenever you make a form of media to talk about teaching a thing, you're lying to everyone about what that thing is. Because mm -hmm. you've encapsulated it in a certain form, having people understand it and use it in a certain way. And that is not the thing. Uh, I mean, I guess, you know, if we, we could pour a little bottles, you know, a little glass of absinthe here and talk about whether the thing is there at all. But, you know, <laughs> to a certain extent, you're always building models and models are lies and... It's just something you should be cognizant of when you're making material to impart ideas. So I'm always really into the idea of like, what do we want you to do with these ideas or information? Mm -hmm. And I'm more interested in the utility of the information rather than ultimate, like some kind of capital F fidelity. Right. Right. It's like, what do we, how do we, how does this information become useful? Uh, well, and I think you can take an example, like from one of our games, like Dr. Guts, I think is a good example of this where mm -hmm. it's like, you're operating on patients, mm -hmm. you're connecting their organ systems in a fairly abstracted way. It's definitely metaphorical. Mm -hmm. If it wasn't, it would be a horrendously gory right. and disturbing game. Right. Uh, so what you're imparting, the utility of what you're imparting is that there's connectivity between these body systems. Mm -hmm. And you should understand that at a basic level. Yep. And then... As with all science learning, you spiral to greater complexity. Exactly. So you leave you you grab that basic concept, that fundamental, and then you build on top of that with the more complex information. Absolutely. A good friend of mine has a atom tattooed on, I believe, her leg, and it's the the classic circle with the spirals, like the the nineteen fifties style atom. Mm -hmm. Because she's a woman, of course, and it's of science interest, pretty regularly some someone comes over and mansplains to her that, you know, that's not what an atom really looks like. Mm. And what's what's entertaining about that is as is, is if they themselves could conceive of what an atom looks like and they know. Right. When in fact they're just running a different model mm -hmm. <laughs> of a different lie that's a little more sophisticated right. about explaining what an atom looks like. Even if they're thinking of some kind of like ultra fuzzy, weird you know, looks like broken slinkies, electron microscope image. That's still a lie. Right. It's too big. Right. Uh, <laughs> you know, there's, it's inconceivable to know what an atom looks like. You have to have some type of model that's a lie about it to know what it is. And, but those lies have utility, right? If you yes. want to do science with atoms, you need a model that lets you think about taking them apart, putting them together. And that's, you know, it's a nice way to think about that is, you know, little circles orbiting another circle. <laughs> So, yeah, I yeah. think, you know, and there's uh, there's definitely that element of whether it's comprehensible. Obviously, the tattoo that you're talking about is more comprehensible than a pile of broken slinkies. Yeah. That may be more accurate to what you see through a microscope. Right. The next question on the list is... Could games transform curriculum and schooling? And I think your answer was yes. Uh, sure. So, <laughs> sure. Uh, the sub question is, and I think this is where we can have a bit of a, a meatier conversation: is Are we trying to make games fit into the curriculum or the classroom, or do we need to flip it around and build classroom activities around games as a centerpiece? It depends on the perspective you're trying to answer it from. Is it as a, a tactician attempting to figure out how to get games to transform classrooms? Because if so, then we need to make games that fit into classrooms and curriculum of today. Mm -hmm. If we can succeed with that, 
then all of a sudden we're living in a world where games in classrooms exist. Right. And then it's so much easier then to be like, well, now what are ways we can improve curriculum to better use the games that we have? That's probably like the easiest way to do it. And then if you want to talk about like, well, let's just assume there's some kind of, you know, scouring flame that like purges the entirety of schools and we're building them from the ground up in a bold new civilization. Mm -hmm. Would we rethink curriculum to be, have as many avenues to either be game first or deeply game and integrated alone? Well, yeah, totally. (laughs) Right. Why not? That'd be amazing. Right. There's all sorts of interesting and cool ways to have games and classroom activities and teacher-led interactions, thread those back and forth and do all sorts of of different ways of connecting those. So yeah, there's there's a there's a lot of work to be done to like document the best practices for that. And there's a lot of different I mean we obviously we haven't made all the games yet, right? There's a whole bunch of different types of games that right. are different ways of doing things that would have different impacts on curriculum. So yeah, so there's a whole realm of opportunity. But in terms of just sort of like waging the war of, you know, how do we change the hearts and minds of school systems, districts, and and teachers to be excited about using games. I would rather make games that work for teachers where they are today and be like, you can use this right now. Mm-hmm. You don't have to burn your uh, assignment book right, and tell your principal to go to hell. Mm-hmm. You can actually just work with this with what you have and it'll be great. That seems that seems practical. Yeah, and I think that, of course, like with any profession, you have just infinite variation right. of the types of personas you would encounter there. So it's yes. there's a million different kinds of teachers, all with their different approaches. Totally. And there are some teachers, um, like Marianne, mm-hmm. who just takes a game like Minecraft and builds an entire curriculum out of it. Right. Just out of just basically off the top of her head and and it's it's entirely her invention mm-hmm. and then there's games like what we provide where there's some curriculum that comes with it and offers you scaffolding to mm-hmm. bring it into your classroom if you're if you're taking a more traditional approach or just don't know where to start with getting games into your classroom so it's like there's it it's it's totally situational mm-hmm. but that being said the real strength of learning games is is the the way that they can be used situationally and the way that they're so flexible yeah. to those different use cases where it's like you can make it a centerpiece mm-hmm. or you can make it a reinforcement activity, something that the student does when they've completed whatever the, whatever the actual centerpiece is of the curriculum that mm-hmm. you've chosen. Contronym Corner. Contronym of the day is yeah. nonplussed. Yeah. Nonplussed means startled or not startled. <laughs> Thanks for joining us for Contronym of the Day. <laughs> yes. I love it. Yep. All right. Yeah. Thanks for listening to the Film and Games Podcast. If you'd like to hear more about games, game-based learning, and well-informed, accurate observations about sports and such, subscribe today on Stitcher or iTunes.